Hi guys, I'm Coach Desi and this is Post Stop to Won't Stop. I'm a physician assistant who fell in love with bariatrics while working with a surgeon here in Florida. Finding ways to help my patients in their journey has always been my priority. I'm now a personal trainer who works with clients to help them reach their goals and stay on track after their surgery. Post Stop to Won't Stop was developed to allow patients a platform to share their stories and to help educate people on the process of weight loss through surgery. Let's listen to real people share their wins and losses and learn what really happens in the journey after surgery. Hello, hello, listeners out there. We got another wonderful episode today. Thanks for tuning in. I have Stephanie, and I think some of you may already know her. She does run Bariatric Society. That is her baby. And she will be talking all things about that. But first, I just want to welcome her to the show today. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me today. I love talking about this stuff. So I'm really excited to dig into um, the journey and what's happening in the bariatric community right now. That's awesome. Well, we are stoked to have you. So, um, so because most of our, you know, a lot of our audience is not, you know, doesn't know your specific journey. Why don't you just start off by sharing, you know, your process? How did you get through weight loss surgery? What, you know, has this something been something you always thought about or, you know, just walk us through your journey. Tell us your story. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm one hungry mother on Instagram. That's with, uh, underscores between the words. Um, but I, uh, started my journey in July of 2020 actually. So mid pandemic, um, I had a close family member pass away. Um, and it was a big wake up call for me. I think I'd always been a little bit critical internally, thankfully not externally about her own, um, like chronic pain and illnesses and the fact, um, that she wasn't taking moves to get healthy in the way that I wanted her to, because I loved her so much. Um, and when she finally passed away, I realized how much that was just me projecting my own issues onto that relationship. Um, at that point I was 270 pounds. Um, I'd always been bigger bodied, um, but that progressively grown over the years, especially as I had two kids, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old and, um, you know, the weight came on after childbirth, um, and just kind of stuck around and then continued to grow, um, with food issues. So at 270 pounds, I, you know, started the journey with my local hospital and, uh, with my insurance, it required a six month, uh, pre-surgical weight loss program in order to qualify. Um, so went through that program, uh, religiously <laughs> and then, um, was it about 245 by the time I had surgery? Now I'm five, eight. Um, so my BMI was right around 42 whenever I started the process, um, and, uh, had surgery in February of 2021. So it's been about a year and a half now. Um, and I've lost about a hundred pounds, um, gained, gained back like eight pounds over the, a summer of fun this year, but not worried about it. Um, but it's been, um, I don't want to say magical. It's been a lot of work. And I talk a lot on my Instagram page about the mental health journey that comes with it, because I would say 10% of this is the physical change that happens with surgery. And the other 90% is the, you know, the habit and the the mental changes that have to happen after um, to, to really utilize the tools. So it's been a, it's been a lot of work, but it's been uh, completely life-changing. So that's, that's kind of the story of my uh, weight loss surgery. And then in this process, um, 
there were a couple of resources that I wanted that didn't exist. It started with a book club. I had a stack of books I wanted to read um, prior to surgery, put the word out to see if others would want to join a book club to hold us accountable to getting the reading done. Um, and it exploded. <laughs> so we turned it into the Bariatric Book Club. It's a, a subscription service where we send out the book and we read it. And then at the end of the month, we have a series of different group sessions on Zoom where weight loss surgery patients host and ask questions that are written to align the book to our weight loss surgery journey. Um, and so that was kind of the first step in, in what was created. And then the Bariatric Society itself was born out of an annual retreat that we do now to celebrate people's journey, um, help people build authentic relationships in this process um, and create this network of events and resources. And what we now have are our local chapters all over the country. Woohoo! I love that crazy. <laughs> you did a glow up, girl. Glow up. You're definitely <laughs> stop to won't stop. <laughs> yeah. It's been amazing. It's been an amazing journey. I will say that. That's awesome. Um, a couple things I want to just touch on. I I I agree a hundred percent that this is more 90% mental, um, 10% physical. I love that you said that. Um, and you had mentioned early on with your loved one that you had realized um, that you were projecting. Walk us through how you discovered that and, and kind of what was that, what did that look like for you? Yeah, I think in the morning process, uh, it was my stepmom that passed away. In the morning process, um, you know, I no longer had her to put that on mentally and, um, you know, I started to reflect a little bit more on what I was going through with my body. Um, I, I realized just how many times I was saying no to walking to the playground with my kids and how much knee pain I had after I was, you know, on the ground wrestling around with them. Or, you know, um, it occurred to me that I was wearing my Birkenstocks in the winter because it was, uh, you know, a pain in the butt to tie my shoelaces. And all of these are really minor things, but they add up to a really big difference in your quality of life. And it occurred to me in that moment that um, the path that she had had in her life with chronic illness was very similar to the path that I was starting down um, with my obesity. Um, and so that's kind of how I discovered that process. Now, I had known that I had panic disorder and anxiety and was, you know, coping through those. And I had a pretty tumultuous upbringing. There's a lot of childhood trauma there, um, but there's no world in which I totally understood just how much I was using food to self-nurture. So there was a, a well-worn path between, you know, putting my kids down at the end of the night and walking straight to the kitchen to go get a slice of peanut butter toast, right? Like these weren't, I wasn't sitting there binging like you see in the movies or eating a pint of ice cream like you see in Bridget Jones' diary, right? Like, but there was absolutely emotional nurturing that was happening um, that I started to, to uncover whenever I really took a look at what were the actions that I was taking and what, you know, what were the, the ways that I was self-nurturing that were ultimately harming me? Got it. And so did you, uh, okay. So you were starting to search out, you had to have the six months supervised diet, and then you had surgery February of last year. Um, 
when in that process did you, or have you, I mean, it sounds like you have sought out mental health support to help you in this journey. Did you start that preoperatively or? Oh yeah, absolutely. In that, like walk us oh. through that part. Yeah. Yeah. So I had been in, um, I'd had a psychiatrist before I hadn't had one in years, but I had had one before, which is how I knew I had panic disorder and anxiety disorder and had medication for that. Um, but I, when I decided to go down the path of surgery, um, I'd immediately decided that I was going to cover all of my bases. And so, uh, you know, you go through the standard, um, behavioral assessment, right? So once I got through that and, um, established that I was good to go on that front, I immediately sought out, um, mental health care, uh, talk therapy and a psychiatrist. So I have, I have both sides of the coin it's frustrating that it's harder to find a psychiatrist that does talk therapy anymore. Like they're, they're two separate things, but luckily I'm in a clinic where the two practices speak to each other. So they're working collaboratively on from a, a medical and like chemical perspective, and then also a talk therapy. So right now, actually I'm doing cognitive behavioral therapy to start to unpack, um, you know, what were those childhood traumas, um, that created the, the feelings that drive the behaviors that I'm doing and like, where in that cycle can we circumvent that so that, you know, when I have a rough day, I'm not wanting to turn to, um, a self-nurture that's going to hurt me like food or alcohol or things like that. Cause I mean, we talk about transfer addiction a lot in the weight loss surgery community, but, um, it had never occurred to me that that was something that I would be at risk for. Um, both of my parents are alcoholics. And so it's something I'm hyper aware of and have always been hyper aware of, but I absolutely feel that craving at the end of the night. Now that that food option is gone or I'm trying to avoid it, I guess, um, my brain instantly is looking for what that alternate, uh, dopamine hit is going to be. Um, and so, uh, it's just a matter of trying to figure out how do I provide that nurture throughout the day. So I'm not so depleted at the end of the day that I need that um, and coming up with healthy alternatives in that moment. And what kind of alternatives do you turn to? Taking a bath, reading a book. Uh, it's uh, I think it's different for everybody, but what I've done to identify those are find the moments throughout the day where I feel that sense of contentment in my chest, where that, that tightness kind of releases. and. Um, for me, it sounds really weird, but if I'm like singing in the car on a drive or I'm literally putting away the dishes, it's, I've found for me, it's in those moments where I know that that's the one thing that I'm supposed to be doing in that moment that I find a moment of contentment. Um, and that serves as a dopamine hit for me. So if I'm feeling really frustrated, um, with the day and I would really love to have a slice of buttered toast and I go unload the dishwasher, like it provides the same nurture. And it would never occur to me before that unloading the dishwasher is going to do the same thing for me as a slice of buttered toast used to. Right. But it was, it was a process of really looking for those moments where that busyness in my chest calmed and then taking note of those. I literally have a sticky note of them where it's, you know, if I'm having those moments, these are the things that I turn to. Um, wow. in lieu of food or alcohol or, or in my case, smoking pot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's awesome because I mean, the stage of life that you're in with little ones, I mean, I'm a mom of teenagers now, so I've, you know, lived through the, the three-year-old and six-year-old stage. 
there, those are some challenging times and, and it's hard to find those moments for self-care and mindfulness that you have. So how do you navigate that world as a, as a busy mom? I don't think that I'm there yet. If I'm being totally transparent, it's something I'm actively working on. I'll, I'll take a break in the middle of the day to make myself some food. And I feel guilty about that. Or if I go out for a walk because I got a frustrating email, like I, I still feel a sense of guilt there, even though I know that that guilt is illogical and I'm doing the right thing. Like that guilt is still there. And so I'm having to kind of rewrite the narrative in my own brain right now of, you know, no, this is exactly what you're supposed to be doing right now. Um, this is good for you. Um, instead of the whole like, no, 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 there's 20 things on your to-do list that you're not doing right now if you're out on a walk, right? Like I, there's, there's a really mean person inside my brain <laughs> that I need to try to shut up. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I think you're also rewriting your kid's future. I mean, we are an example to our kids. So the fact that you're learning about this and teaching yourself, you know, healthy coping mechanisms and recognizing these things, you know, you know, you're raising kids that are, are going to know that automatically. And I too was raised in a very difficult home and, um, you know, divorce and, and domestic violence and all of this stuff. So, you know, trauma was all through there and, and there's always a, a dialogue going on in the back of your head and fear of like, oh my gosh, what, what if, you know, you're trying to help the next generation. Um, so the fact that you're taking action, that's, that's the true word. You're taking action to work on yourself, which is going to then help, you know, the little ones that are, that are coming up that you're, that you're bringing into the world and coming up into being great humans. So congratulations on that. That's tremendous. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, it's not easy. We're I'm not not there yet. We'll figure it. You know, but we're figuring it out as we go. I mean, I'll boldly admit to anybody who asks. Like, I smoked a little pot and ate too much Halloween candy last night. But I think the transformation that I found in this process is that like. I'm not, I don't feel a big sense of guilt about that the way that I used to. I'm not beating myself up over it. It's, it's a thing I did because I was exhausted and emotional and today I'm going to try to do better. Um, whereas I think in the past before weight loss surgery and before, you know, all this process of self-discovery, um, I would have beat myself up and said, well, the, you know, the switch is turned off. So now who cares? I ruined it. You know, let's, let's go eat whatever we want and go sit on the couch and be depressed about it. Um, it's just a completely different way of thinking, uh, from a moment in time. I, I did a thing versus I am a thing, right. Mm -hmm. And giving yourself grace. Yeah. Yeah. Because you would someone that you love, right. You would give grace. So that's, that's awesome. Um, you said it something a little interesting before, transfer addiction. And I don't know that we've ever talked about this on, on my podcast here. Talk a little bit about what is tra transfer addiction and, and what concerns specifically were you worried about in, in terms of your journey? Yes, absolutely. So with food, most of us that are, have gotten to the point where we need weight loss surgery, in large part, we have started using food for emotional nurturing. So there is an actual neuro pathway in our brains that tell us I'm upset or I'm feeling such a way I need to go use food to get that dopamine hit. We do it with other things too. We do it with Instagram. I catch myself doing it all the time. I'll be frustrated with an email and I'll turn to Instagram really fast. And 
I don't logically know that I'm doing it for a little dopamine hit, but that's what my brain is doing is it's, it's found that neural pathway and it is, it is going back to that. Now, when you have weight loss surgery, you're taking away the comfort that you get from food. So I still turn to food for comfort. I did it with Halloween candy last night, but I still don't get the same level of comfort I used to. In my case, I have binge eating disorder and that comfort came from that fullness feeling that I would get less so than the actual food that I was eating. And that fullness effect hurts now. So I'm not getting comfort from that anymore. And so our brains still need that, that dopamine that we were missing before. And so often it'll find that easily in things like alcohol or, or drugs or sex. And so um, there's a, there's a big problem in the weight loss surgery community of what's called transfer addiction. You'll find a lot of people who've had weight loss surgery, lost the weight. Um, and then they become alcoholics, unfortunately, if they're not careful. And it's, it's no fault of, of theirs. It's, it's literally the neuro pathways in your brain looking for a different way to get that comfort. And so we just have to be really careful of it. Um, now there are some surgeons and, you know, nurse practitioners that'll tell you absolutely no alcohol after weight loss surgery. And this is really the reason why it has more to do with this than, you know, it's going to burn your stomach out or, you know, something medical. Right. Um, and so my surgeon was very much like, you can have alcohol at six weeks post-op you're healed, go live your life, you know, just be careful. My nurse practitioner in the very same clinic was like, I tell people absolutely no alcohol after weight loss surgery. Now I'll admit, I, I do drink alcohol. I have multiple wine memberships because I live in the Northwest. Um, but I do have to be careful. Um, because if I'm left unchecked this summer, I caught myself, over the course of two weeks where I'd had at least a drink or two every single night over the course of two weeks, which I had never done in my life before. I'd always been a, a two night a week rule because of my parents' addiction. Um, and, and I was like, oh, I, that's something I need to check. I need to, I'm going to, I'm going to go dry for a couple of weeks and then I'm going to pay attention to how often I'm drinking because for me, it wasn't, the fact of drinking that was the problem. It was the fact that as I was putting my kids down to bed, I was like, Ooh, after this, I'm going to go open a glass, open a bottle of wine. And I was, that was a moment of craving. Right. And, and that craving is what worried me more than the consumption itself. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that a lot, even on the practitioner side. And I see where people go the opposite direction. So they enjoy the weight loss so much that they become anorexic. Um, they, you know, they, or they get addicted to exercise and so yep. they're going and they're working out seven days a week. And, you know, that's not, that's not always the best thing either. So, um, it is important to talk about transfer addiction. And for those of you out there who haven't had surgery yet, something to consider, I'm a big fan of consideration of mental health support prior to surgery and yes. at any time possible, because, um, a lot of, you know, a lot of this, you know, you said it, you're in cognitive behavioral therapy now, which is trying to reroute these pathways that you were talking about, you know, neuroplasticity is a thing, you can reroute them. But some of them, you know, some of these habits we've been in since we were kids, and those pathways are really ingrained. And so something like cognitive behavioral therapy can be very, very beneficial. So I tell people, you know, there may be things uncovered in that mental health support, like, you know, depression, anxiety, um, disordered eating patterns, things like that. But even for even if that's not uncovered, most of us just being human because the way we're built, 
have these neural pathways that require a professional to help you get out of it, even identify it, and then figuring out what those triggers are and then helping to figure out other ways to, like, as you said, hit, get that dopamine hit and, and, and start a new pathway. So um, thanks for yeah, that. I, That's important to know. Yeah, I'm a big believer that there should absolutely be at least a one-year requirement of mental health support after surgery to deal with what led you here, but also to deal with the process of, of getting through this journey. It is so much more tumultuous mentally than I could have ever imagined. I always thought of my body as the one thing that I couldn't solve that I needed to solve. And that once that one thing was solved, everything else would fall into place, right? I had a complete control over my career, complete control over my, my family. And, you know, that sounds horrible, but I just felt like all of those things were exactly the way that I wanted. And the one thing that I didn't have control over was my body. And so if I could fix that, everything would be great. Turns out that's not at all the case. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, and that's really hard to get through. I'd heard of people, um, you know, talking about how food was their best friend and, and post-op, it was like losing a best friend. And I, you know, internally rolled my eyes a little bit to that. Cause I'm like, I don't think of food as my best friend. I'm not that big of a foodie. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not again, Bridget Jones sitting with that pint of ice cream. I don't think of myself in that way, but I was absolutely using food in that way. I just, it just hadn't occurred to me that I was because it wasn't as, um, visually extreme as you see in movies and things. So I think everybody needs to have that mental health therapy and like, I mean, what harm, I shouldn't say what harm could it do? Cause I guess it could do harm, but like, there's, there's always benefit to, to unpacking and working through that stuff. Absolutely. And I, I 100% agree with you. I mean, that's the direction that my practice is going, um, is, is it's, uh, it needs to be at least discussed and patients should really consider being an active participant in, in, in that discussion, right? There's sometimes I talk to patients and just like you said, Oh no, 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 no. I don't have, I don't have any issues there. I don't need that. And it's like, okay. Cause that's all you can do is present it. Um, and just hope that at some point when that patient comes in, you're hitting them at the right time where they can start to put some pieces together and maybe they're ready for that step. You know, you, you can only do what a person's prepared for. And so um, again, I mean, I, I applaud you. And I, I find that the patients that have the greatest success long-term are the patients that do find a comprehensive way to approach, um, um, you know, weight loss surgery after, you know, after having surgery. Um, so I want to scoot back to how did you start the book club? Yeah, so that was actually pre-op. So in September of 2020, um, like I said, I had a stack of books that I wanted to read um, and just put out the word on Instagram to see if anybody else would be interested in joining a book club with me, just a free like, you know, online thing. Um, it grew really fast, um, faster than I could handle originally. So I had to turn it into a subscription service to, to maintain it. Um, and it's been incredible. It's one of my favorite things that's come out of the weight loss surgery journey, because we read everything from self-help to dietary, to fitness, to female empowerment, to memoirs of big bodied people that have not had weight loss surgery. Right. So, um, 
what's great about it is people show up to book club having not read the book at all, which is a hundred percent fine. Um, because the questions are comprehensive enough that it's really a discussion of our weight loss surgery journey, but in a way that's less, um, I think scary for some people than a like support group would be because you're not forced immediately to talk about your journey. You're talking about the book. And in that discussion about the book, you're going to be talking about your journey and your relationship with your mother and being in Weight Watchers when you were 11 and, you know, that kind of stuff. But there's, it's a softer approach to that discussion. And it's with other people who've had similar life experiences as you. Um, I think with everything involved in bariatric society, our core mission has been to create peer-to-peer relationships because, and originally we started it because that's what would make us successful in the weight loss surgery journey. What I've found more recently is it's because that's the like biggest benefit of the weight loss surgery journey. There's this weird side effect that comes out of weight loss surgery, which is you get access to this community of people who've lived shared experiences um, and are bonded in an experience now that is completely life-changing. Um, and I think it's a point of joy, um, out of this that I would have never expected. And it's the number one benefit in my opinion of weight loss surgery. Uh, if I gained all my weight back, I would still be grateful that I had the surgery because I have relationships now that I would have otherwise never had, um, with people all over the country, all over the globe. That's awesome. And, and how brilliant, like the book club, like being a great place for a support group without calling it support group. And I agree, like there's a lot of people that do not go to support group because they're still in that frame of mind of like, I don't need mental health support, but read a book and talk about that all day long. And I think that's just absolutely brilliant. So hats off to you. Congratulations on that. Now, let me go back to bariatric society. In your journey, when you were preparing for surgery, did you have, what was your support like? When did you, were you, were you camp of the, there's two different camps. There's camp, I don't tell anybody and camp, I tell everybody (laughs) having surgery. I was, I was somewhere in the middle. So I had started my Instagram page, One Hungry Mother, separate from my, you know, personal Stephanie page um, that is basically just a shrine to my children. Um, and I, uh, I had it open so people could find it, but I wasn't openly telling people. I was very ashamed of the fact that I needed weight loss surgery. Um, we talk a lot in book club about this like coming out moment where you come out as a fat person, right? Um, we all try to pretend nobody can like see that we're bigger bodied, right? And um, to acknowledge that you need weight loss surgery is to acknowledge that you know you're a big bodied person and you know that you need help. And that was really, really hard for me. The other part of it for me, the privacy in the beginning was that um, I had done as I do with anything, an extensive amount of research on which surgery, which surgeon to go with, the risk factors, what my life would look like after. And I knew that anybody that I talked to and from my personal friends and family had not done that level of research. And so I didn't want their their uneducated, absolutely socially biased opinions to impact my decision until I knew for sure that this was a thing that I was doing. Um, So once I booked my surgery um, and had made it most of the way through my six months, that's when I first started telling family members and friends. um, And I was, I was slow to do so. It wasn't until (laughs) 
um, about six months after my weight loss surgery, whenever I'd lost a significant amount of weight. Um, and I think a lot of the shame around it had gone away. Cause I was like, whatever, I lost weight. It worked. So come at me. Um, that I, uh, opened up really publicly about it on my personal Facebook or my personal Instagram and a company-wide email at my then company, because I was leaving my previous, uh, employer. I was the director of marketing there and, I needed to explain where I was going, but where I was going was a weight loss surgery company that I started. Like, how do I explain that without explaining that I've had weight loss surgery? Right. So it was this moment of kind of, um, I don't want to say forced, I made the decision, but a forced coming out to, um, a bunch of people that I may not have otherwise told. And so that's where I, uh, fully opened up about it was about six months post-op. Um, and now I'll tell a little, I was literally at a, um, like a training for volunteering at my daughter's school. And somebody asked what I do. And I was like, oh, well, I own a business for weight loss surgery patients. And let me tell you all about it. I had weight loss surgery. Do you want to hear more? <laughs> so it's a, it's been a big 180. <laughs> you know what? There's something to be said for just finding your authentic self and having no shame in that. And we, oh, we yeah. find that and wears it, we wear it well. Yeah. Absolutely. I joke that I've gotten so much weirder since after surgery. And it's really just that I've become more me, which just happens to be very weird. So. Oh, we love you. We love you. Um, and so in that part of your, of your story, you hadn't told a lot of people until you felt you were prepared, you know, after you said six months later, when you felt like you'd lost enough weight to be like, whatever, come at me. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know anybody else who had weight loss surgery? Or you were kind of, oh yeah, before I ever even considered it, um, the weird thing is my stepmother had passed and I got an email from the local hospital that they just opened a bariatric practice. It's not even the hospital I ultimately went with, but, um, I, and I remember in that moment, I was like, if only I qualified for weight loss surgery. And then I Googled my BMI and looked at the requirements and was like, oh my God, I qualify for weight loss surgery. Um, I think people talk about body dysmorphia post-op. I'm pretty sure I had body dysmorphia pre-op. I gained so gradually, but I just hadn't realized how big I had gotten and how much of the, my day-to-day -day challenges were caused by my body. Anyway, um, in that moment, whenever I started down an insane rabbit hole of blog and Instagram research, um, I reached out to the one and only person I knew who had had surgery and she was a Latvian patient. Um, she was a friend of a friend and at a wedding 10 years prior, she had told me that she had gotten the Latvian um, and was feeling great. And so I reached out to her on Facebook and was like, I am so sorry if this is inappropriate, but um, you know, I'm considering this and would love to hear your opinion. Um, and she was gracious enough to respond. And, you know, we started talking in that way. Um, so she was the one and only person I know I knew who'd had it, but I'm a big believer that every single weight loss surgery patient has that person. We've all talked to somebody who's had the surgery before, before we go through with it. Cause it's really that word of mouth piece. That's so important. Got it. And so now on the other side of this, and you have this book club, did the retreat happen at the same time that you were setting up the book club? Or was it because of this experience of like, you knew only one person and you kind of were craving that, uh, that connection with like-minded and like experienced people. 
is that where that spawned from or is it really just from the book club and everyone just said hey we should all get together or how did how did bariatric society actually come to be Ah, that's a great question. So they happened right around the same time, um, but mostly in the Instagram community, not exclusive to book club. So I had started the book club for the reasons I mentioned before. And then with retreat, um, I was on a, a live with a friend and we were just chit chatting about like getting a group of girls together. We're like, let's get a cabin in the woods and get people together. And, and then we we're like, well, we don't want to leave anybody out. And as I mentioned I'm a marketer, so everything comes back to data. I was like, I'm going to put out a survey. And so I did a survey monkey for, you know, what would people want to do if we created something for this community? Um, and we looked at, you know, would you want a summer camp or a bougie retreat in San Diego? And we had a bunch of different options. And I expected a handful of people to answer, and then we would figure it out from there. But the last question on there was, if we do this, uh, do you want to get notified for tickets? If so, leave your, your contact information. And we had um, over 500 people fill out the survey and over 300 of them left their contact information. And the, you know, it was a very clear winner of a bougie retreat in San Diego for that one. So it was like, all right, I, I guess we're building this. Um, and in large part, it was because we'd created really strong friendships, you know, on this digital platform on Instagram. And we wanted to meet in real life um, in a way where, yes, we're getting some education and we're learning and growing, but also in a way where we're refreshing ourselves on this journey. Um, our big thing was at the time, you know, we're going to get into this journey and about a year in the honeymoon's over. Um, and we need that moment that's ours, that's the celebration of what we've gone through, where we toggle back to, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be focused on myself and self-care and building relationships and things. Because we so easily, as moms or teachers or nurses, which is a huge, by the way, market of the weight loss surgery, our, our caregivers in, in the world, um, we so easily get sucked back into caring for others. And so we wanted to create something that was an opportunity for self-reflection and self-growth. That is awesome. And so your first one was last year? First one was 2021. It was November, 2021 in San Diego. Um, we had about 250 people there and we had workshops and workouts and, uh, we uh, had NSV opportunities for people to skydive or parasail or horseback ride. Um, the second one uh, was in Orlando in May of 2022. Um, and in that one, we took everyone to Disney World. And then our next one is going to be in San Antonio, Texas in November of 2023. Um, and we're really excited about the NSV opportunities that we're building right now and all the on-site activities and workouts and workshops that uh, we'll be incorporating in there. This one's going to be a little bit bigger. It's going to be about 400, but that's about as big as we want to keep it because uh, the important piece for us is creating opportunities for real connection um, for those in the community and, and maintaining that retreat, vacation, self-care vibe that we've been going for all along. That's awesome. And so are tickets on sale for that event yet? Not yet. They will go on sale in March. Our website goes up in the next couple of weeks. Um, and then we'll be building out our content and our speakers from there. And we want to wait until all of that is set before we release tickets. Our first retreat sold out in 90 minutes. And so we want to make sure folks have all the information that they need in order to make a decision the moment that tickets go live um, so that there's a fair and equal playing field <laughs> to get your well, ticket to retreat. <laughs> 
So share with everyone, how would they be notified when tickets go on sale? Yeah, so if you are signed up for email notifications on bariatricsociety.com um, and you're following us um, at Bariatric Society on Instagram, then you'll see the notifications for when those are going to go on sale. And there will be plenty of countdown notifications for that. Um, I definitely know people will be setting alarms and such <laughs> for this one. So That's it's awesome. exciting. And so you also have local chapters. Yes. Yes, we do. Yeah. One of the big asks that's come out of the last two retreats is, you know, there's plenty of people that a can't afford um, a big retreat across the country, or they want more opportunities to connect locally with bariatric patients that they can foster a, an ongoing relationship with in real life meetups. So we created the chapters as a way for people to create and host their own smaller meetups, coffee dates, things like that. So we launched the events page at the last retreat where all bariatric events happening across the community flow into one central place so people can find it. So everything from the large conferences done by other websites to a Friendsgiving done by your neighbor who had weight loss surgery lives on there. And then the chapters are kind of the sister product out of that, right? Where um, folks can go into their chapter group on Facebook and say, Hey, I would love to get a group together to go to the pumpkin patch. And if they get enough interest on there, they'll create the event, post it up on the events page. And now people know where and when to go to meet up. Um, the chapters are free. It's just really an avenue for people to connect and, and start those conversations to generate those, um, in-person relationships. That's awesome. And then if someone wants information on the book club, do they go to the same website? Yep, society.com. Uh, we have a, a tab there for book club. It's there's two options. Um, it started just as a you know a digital membership. Um, but then we had enough people say, just send me the book, please just take my money and send me the book. And so now we have two options. We have all inclusive where uh, we ship the book out at the beginning of every month. So you don't have to think about it. Um, and then we have the digital version for folks who still want to read it on their Kindle or check out the book from their library. That's awesome. So what are we reading this month, Stephanie? This month, we are reading What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat by Aubrey Gordon. And it is, I will say, probably one of my favorite books that we've read now. So I am, I'm very excited to talk through this one with folks. It's all about um, misconceptions about um, the, the obesity epidemic and how research specifically contradicts the calories in calories out diet and exercise it's your responsibility and your fault uh social stigma that's been put on big bodies um our whole lives so i think it's it's kind of one of the the key pillars in pulling that shame away that actually um negatively impacts our ability to be healthy long term yes say it louder for the people in the back <laughs> <laughs> including yeah. the practitioners that's why I have this podcast is to try to fight against the bias that's out there and really let people hear stories um you know without ever looking you know they don't they're not going to see you Stephanie you know they can look you up and, and stuff but they can listen before they see and make judgment and hear what patients really go through like you said I mean how many people have I interviewed who's like oh my first diet was at 11 you know, my mom, you know, put me in Weight Watchers, just like you said, and it blew my mind the first time I heard it because I'd never heard it before. And this is, I'm someone who's worked in the industry for years, and I don't know that I've ever heard that. So 
I always learn something from every person I interview. And certainly, you know, you are just a beautiful soul. I love that you were brave enough to work through what you needed to, to get to where you are from a health perspective, and then use that to now empower other people and help others in their journey. That is a beautiful thing. And I just want to thank you because people like you are going to make things better for the next generation and for others that are fighting, you know, this fight, they're not fighting it alone. Thank you. I appreciate that. This, this process has been magic and I feel uh, very grateful to be part of the community. Well, I always like to finish with a couple of fun questions. Okay. So my question for you, book club uh, extraordinaire, is what are your top favorite books that you would recommend to someone preparing for or going through bariatric surgery? Oh, that is an excellent question. We actually just did a reel and we did not plan this, by the way. I did not know I was going to get asked this question, but we just did a reel on the bariatric. We have a handle at bariatric book club specifically just for book club. And we did our favorite five pre-op books. Um, I want to make sure that I get them right. Um, they are weight loss surgery does not treat food addiction. Uh, that's by Connie Stapleton, who's very active in this community. Um, Atomic Habits. That's my number one. If you're not going to read any other book prior to weight loss surgery, read Atomic Habits because it's really just about changing habits. The weight loss surgery is just a tool to give you a head start. And that one um, talks a lot about the neuroplasticity and stuff that we were talking about early on. I love that book. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. I didn't put this one in the reel because we hadn't read it yet, but I would add to this what we don't talk about when we talk about fat because I think um, we've been told so many negative messages our whole life about it being our fault that we're fat and also that we are a moral failure for being fat and also that we have a requirement to society to be healthy, which, what? So um, I think this is an important one to start unpacking what fat means to us. Um, those, I think those three are my top three. And then um, Regain Be Gone is another good one, just for the basics of, I'm looking at my, my book club wall right now, <laughs> for the basics of uh, what, what the transition looks like from a, from a dietary perspective. Bear in mind, I truly believe there's a spectrum between um, super strict anti-sugar methodology in a dietary life post-op and then more an intuitive eating approach. And I think you, you fling around a little bit in that spectrum, depending on how far you are post-op. So take everything with that in mind. So those would be my top ones. Great. And last question, what is your advice to someone who's considering weight loss surgery? Talk to people who've gone through it before um, and go seek um, some mental health care from somebody who specializes in big body patients or weight loss surgery patients. Um, you're gonna find a lot of uh, bias that still exists among practitioners um, against weight loss surgery. I, I had that problem with my endocrinologist whenever I told her I was having weight loss surgery, she suggested, suggested hypnotism instead. Um, and <laughs> so take all of that with a grain of salt, but as long as you're going to a mental health professional that specializes or has worked with folks in this and is knows more than just a social bias, then you're in a safe space. Yes. And I love that you pointed that out because that's exactly what I tell patients. Like, it's fine if you have other conditions that you're seeing therapists for, like 
depression, anxiety, you know, whatever traumas, things like that. But you do want someone who specializes in the journey with, you know, food related conditions and things like that, because that's, you know, it's often not talked about in general therapy, even though there's a connection, right? We know there's a connection. Um, uh, Yeah, I'm glad you cleared that out. All right, Stephanie. Well, I appreciate your time and wisdom and sharing your story with us. And, you know, we cannot wait to be a part of Bariatric Society's events in the future. And, um, you know, we'd love to have you on anytime you want to in the future. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. All right. Take care. Have a good day. You too. Thank you all for listening. I hope you loved this episode as much as I did. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review because I want to hear from you guys. Let me know what you thought of this episode and any ideas you'd like to hear more about. Keep in touch through social via Facebook or Instagram at Coach Desi and subscribe to my newsletter at CoachDesi.com. Remember, your journey is still being written.